0: welcome to vindhook at 30 and we are celebrating the vindhook declaration for the development of a free independent and pluralistic press the date of the declaration's adoption may 3 subsequently became what is known as world press freedom day and this program today is brought to you by the media institute of southern africa zimbabwe misa in collaboration with nmt the namibia media trust so, on today's show we are going to be discussing what's been happening in the last 30 years how far we've come as media and what the future holds my name is swagelen and i will be chatting to zenzelendebele who is the director of side zimbabwe an online media house as well as Marcosis swanda who is a journalist a podcaster a lecturer and a researcher welcome gentlemen okay let's start with social media where Site has a very strong presence In a country like Zimbabwe, why does this matter amid other competing needs like water, education, health, and jobs?
1: Well, I think information sharing or access to information is a basic human right. And uh, as the Center for Innovation and Technology, we realized that uh, a lot of people were being left out when it comes to uh, sharing information because it's normally, if you, you will see that for a long time, media in Zimbabwe has always been owned by the state and it has not been accessible to the majority of the people. So sharing information is quite critical. It's as important as water and food. Because without the information, there are a lot of uh, things that you don't have access to. If you're going to talk about human rights, if you're going to talk about uh, people respecting uh, human rights accountability and transparency, you cannot talk about that without access to information. So
0: what then, in summary, would you say is the role of a platform such as site?
1: Well, CITES' main platform is to give people uh, a place, or can I say, I use them the same word, the platform where they can uh, tell their stories. We basically allow people to tell their stories in their own way, or uh, no, get their narratives to be heard. Because in many cases, if your story is told by someone, it is through their lenses. It's about their agenda, what they want the world to know or the community to know. But at site we are saying, we give you a microphone, we give you a platform, you talk about what troubles you. So you will find that at site we have community voices more than we have ministers and uh, uh, other guys. We only talk to them when we ask them to account. But daily we have the voices of the community.
0: Why would you say, um, why should CSOs be organized on contact production as you have done? Should this not be left to mainstream media?
2: Okay, um, um, the way that social media works or the way CSOs work is, is they need to provide alternative voices to communities. Uh, we need to have another narrative that is focused on the people to have uh, local driven stories that will drive also the development agenda. So this uh, comes as a way to complement also the government, not necessarily even to find gaps within government, but to complement to have another. A space where citizens or villagers or whatever to talk about their own uh, issues and also to go deeper down to local communities in terms of representation because they have their own aspirations as well. Um, also, we have issues to do with polarization where we have uh, centralized narratives. So, this is where um, other CSOs come in to try and give people those alternative voices that will drive. Uh, developmental agendas or whatever agenda that would be important for that day.
0: Okay, so how then do we ensure that site and others like yourselves represent the voices that you say you represent, more so the youths, and not drift towards misinformation and political
1: propaganda? Well, well uh, before Mokos comes in, I think what I have found interesting with SITE is that most of the times uh, the stories come from the community that I have said and we our job is to verify that's the story is uh, true. It's not propaganda. So someone calls you and says uh, the neighbor's dog, you know, is stealing my ex, you know, ours is to go there and verify that there is a dog. Does the neighbor agree that there is an issue? And we, we cover that. So we, we are not there to push someone's agenda. We are not there to be, you know, uh, megaphone for someone to propagate their issues but because we're on social media someone can easily say what you are saying happened in Kurumani did not happen which has not always has not been the case with the the state media or with mainstream media because it has always been a a one-way communication but with social media with the work that we do communities have a chance to actually say what you said is not true but this is why we also take uh, fact-checking seriously
2: Oh, yeah, I want to say also to say, uh, for a long time, uh, residents or community members have not had their own voices. Uh, So for platforms like SITE, you know, they've given um, an opportunity to the people to hear themselves speak. So, you know, when you hear yourself on the news or when you hear your friend on the news, it gets you talking about serious issues that can, you know, uplift uh, you uh, maybe as communities. So they play a very significant role. in as much as magnifying also their local problems, magnifying whatever that unsettles them at that given time to question even some of the things that happen and they are just left there. Remember also mainstream guys sometimes they are not there on the ground with the people, they are not in grassroots. So uh, social media brings in that element where you can have even narratives from the localities being magnified onto like national level it is
0: So what issues dominate on your platforms and how effective have you been in bringing any change to any challenges?
1: I mean, uh, what I find that... I mean, politics is always uh, the the, the main issue that people talk about. But this differs, you know, from, uh, you know, you're talking about not really party politics, but you're talking about issues of governance, uh, human rights abuses, uh, service delivery, accountability. Most of the times, people are complaining that whatever the government promised us did not happen. What the councillor said is not happening. We don't have water, we don't have electricity. So it's mainly about service delivery. It's mainly about human rights abuses, and once in a while, or not once in a while, but occasionally, people talk about their successes, you know, we have managed to do this without the help of of the government, or without the help of the the, the counselor. so we we have a number of stories that are, and what I find interesting is that you still have, you know, human interest stories, you know, witchcraft, and those kind of things, being the most you know, viewed videos or you know if you say a prophet is removing a articulation Park, you know it will reach thousands of views than when you're talking about voter registration.
0: So Asaita has adopted a hyper-local approach where news is mainly about the region it operates from. How did you choose this approach and what are the positives of being hyper-local?
1: It's first, firstly it's about us, then other people. So when you tell your stories, it's easier to tell your stories because you know your story. But your story has a, a, a regional and international and a national outlook. So the problem of water in Bulawayo is a, a national issue because it also you know, focuses on how central government has failed to you know, give Bulawayo water. But you find that the problems that we face in Bulawayo are the same as those in Nilongwe and in Kenya and in, in Harare. So while we are telling local stories, they also have a, a national interest. So you'll you, you you find it interesting that we are so hyperlocal in our stories, but 60% of our audience are people in Arara, who want to know what's happening in Bulaway. you know, or followed by people who are in the diaspora, you know, in the UK and in America. So we are, telling, we are taking our local issues to a global level.
0: So, um, what is your opinion on not-for-profit journalism and do you think this is a model that could be developed for use in Zimbabwean media?
2: Um, Zimbabwe is um, a very tricky, it has a very tricky context when you come to check the development of journalism. We have not gotten to a point where we have, uh, I would say, serious journalism. but For (laughs) -for not-for-profit journalism, I think it can assist uh, to escape um, issues such as um, polarization that I uh, I explained. It also maybe it will bring um, local insights which are maybe driven by people with passion to say citizen journalists who do it for passion or who do it to serve a a certain purpose. So it can play a huge role in a society where we've been polarized for so many years. Uh, to have people who are outside even, you know, capitalist systems or outside monopolistic systems saving, um, say, developmental agenda or saving people-driven agendas. So I think it may help uh, to to a certain extent, Uh, but also we're looking at um, competing interests between uh, state players, local players, as well as citizen uh, journalists who, are uh, even filling these other spaces that site is also trying to fill uh, unlike mainstream uh, journalists who report to someone you know so i think uh, it may play a huge role uh, in future
1: okay. but also i think we have to note that the not for profit journalism does not mean non revenue generation mm-hmm. you know so we can generate revenue by other means you know we have seen people in the community who are saying i like what you do and i will give you a camera or contribute to this. Because the problem with the drive being profit-driven is that the the, the business sector will end up controlling you. You know, the big companies will end up being, you know, the ones who are paying your bills. And Mm -hmm. therefore, you cannot write about them because they're giving you advertising. So the advertisers can, at the end of the day, be the people who capture you or the people who make you not to be the independent. So the enemy is not always the state. It can be whoever gives you money. And advertisers have that, uh, you know, uh, potential to be actually the ones who tell you what to write and not what to write because they're giving you the, the money and they're paying you bills.
0: That's a very interesting point. So going into threats that you face and foresee, what can be done to mitigate
1: these threats? Threat? The biggest threat is Sustainability you know, many journalists or many media organizations end up collapsing because they are not sustainable. So if journalists can find a way or if media houses, startups can find a way of, you know, being financially independent, then they will last long. Depending on anyone, whether it's a donor or it's a company, has always had its own challenges. Because international organizations as well, if you are donor funded, they have their agenda. And once their they are, they are, you know, focus shifts from Zimbabwe, from Namibia, you are left alone. So seek ye first the economic kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. So as journalists, we need to seek ye first our financial independence. Then we are going to have sustainable journalism.
0: Online media platforms are said to have a limited reach due to cost and literacy. How relevant is such an organisation aside in a context
1: like this? Well, um, I mean that was maybe that was true a few years ago, but mm-hmm. not really now. Because what I find now is that uh, people think that pe- the online is only uh, you know Twitter and Facebook. You know, I, I recently when we were looking at our statistics, we discovered that most of our traffic comes from WhatsApp to YouTube followed by, you know, our website, then Facebook and Twitter. So while data bundles for Twitter and uh, Facebook might be very expensive, I think it, it, everyone has a WhatsApp. And WhatsApp has become the platform in Zimbabwe where people are actually doing so. Yes, to a certain extent, there are costs. But I think the mobile phone and the WhatsApp is... is I, I guess there are also other, you know, chatting platforms that people use. But I find that uh, the costs you know, in a way, uh, are not really, well, they, they, they can affect to a certain extent. Maybe Marcos can help.
2: You. Yes, I, I wanted to, to also hash out that um, uh, even rural communities are now involved in online spaces. Um, I was doing some, some, some training in guys uh, many months back, and I was just asking out of interest to say, okay, out of the words that you have, they said they have about 36 words, how many words have like network connection where people don't struggle to? They said uh, like 29 words. So maybe from, from that statistic, you can literally see how involved people are. Let's say even by, by WhatsApp. Um, I know site is um, WhatsApp groups that they send even some other content to these guys. So it improves reach. So um, reach is really increasing even online. And I've seen even organizations going further to even do some of their programming in those rural setups. We have seen even uh, efforts to teach people in those communities to be content producers. So we have so much content that's also coming in uh, from these otherwise communities that are viewed as offline. But everyone now is getting online. And I'm really happy with uh, such developments because uh, it means that um, whatever that we're doing, uh, it's being magnified in so many places where there are people who are marginalized, they're marginalized voices. So these spaces are really increasing uh, representation as well.
0: So, in terms of literacy, the gap is closing between literate people and unliterate people because of the multimedia forms, like you can have audios, videos, and things like that. Would you say that literacy is no longer playing as big a role as before because of social media and its multimedia form?
2: Uh, I'm not so much sure in terms of the literacy statistics, but they've been questioned before, but uh, what I can say is access. Access is really uh, improved. If you need anything now, you can ask someone even over WhatsApp or Internet to explain something. So it's really assisting people in so many regards, even research. Updated information, relevant information, why even in a COVID-19 era now, where information dissemination is key, and people even in rural areas are accessing this, such information even via WhatsApp. So um, access is much more playing a role, and then maybe adding on to that, maybe we can just talk about literacy, ETC. Okay.
0: So would you say that our society understands the impact of social media and online news platforms? And if not, what have you done to increase this awareness?
2: I can say um, it's a learning process. Um, You know, with any innovation, people take time to learn these things. I remember when Twitter started, it was like few guys were on Twitter, same as Facebook, same as even with with WhatsApp. So it's a a learning process. And maybe what um, we could do in future is to... Ensure that um, we have uh, limit the gap, the technological gap, where people have these mobile phones, where people have cheap data to, you know, to access some some platforms that are otherwise, you know, the, out of their their context. So, uh, what could be done maybe in the immediate to have maybe a small site office in Lupane or a small whatever office in these remote areas to just bridge the gap between you know those who are in the periphery in terms of accessing information and those who are in metropoles like us who can access anything anytime to also bridge that gap and you know okay.
1: no i think i, I, I entirely agree with ma that you know, the issue of literacy is really when it comes to so, i mean people do audios mm-hmm. so you can do an audio in your own language mm-hmm. you know unlike reading a newspaper which is written in English, so if you can't read English, then you can't. So we have seen over the years lots of podcasts in local languages. We've seen people having conversations in their languages, and the the fact that you can mix all the languages that are available. So you're in a WhatsApp group where someone speaks in English, and Devele, Shona, whatever language is there. And we have seen mainstream going to these WhatsApp groups and looking for stories. So you find a huge headline on a national newspaper talking about someone who posted the news in a WhatsApp group. So this is where you find that uh, social media is really the place where the, everything is happening.
2: Yeah. Mm. So there's um active production of content as, as well as active consumption mm-hmm. of the same content. So you find someone who can repurpose a WhatsApp um, voice note into a podcast. Or you have someone who can crowdsource these views. You say, uh, you, you have your site WhatsApp group and you want to talk about water challenges and blow You just say, hey guys, um, what's happening in your locality? And people are able to send those voice notes and mm-hmm. you mix them in together. So there's ex- active consumption and production, which is really enhancing um, deliberation or enhancing the way people put across their views. Unlike before, where you could complain about service delivery and you remain unheard. But now I'm just a tweet away from our city council to say hey i i like this method or, of payment or i am unhappy with this so yeah
0: so what do you think is the future of journalism in zimbabwe considering that traditional media is facing viability challenges
1: i think journalism will remain in one form or the other uh, you know social media is not journalism it's a way of you know yeah people share information and what but with journalists as long journalists remain in their line or in their lane of work Uh, verifying stories, fact-checking, being accurate, being objective, they will always remain relevant. Despite, I mean, even if you see a breaking news in a WhatsApp group, someone witnesses an, ad, uh, an accident or some they hear about something that has happened. People will tell you that it's not true until it's confirmed by the mainstream media. Mm. So they, they wait for the news at 8, they wait for the newspaper headline to see whether it's really true. So, I mean, in one way or in another form, journalism will remain. But of course, it's, it's changing and it's evolving and uh, journalists and the media houses need to evolve. The reason why we don't have dinosaurs today is because they could not adapt to change so they became extinct so if journalism and journalists and the people in the business of journalism don't change they will be extinct
0: what of the monetization of online content it doesn't seem there's much of that in regards of Zimbabwe
2: um, I think we're, we're slowly getting there we have a few guys who have been able to successfully monetize their content I think that should be the direction of so many organizations remember zenzele spoke also about sustainability mm-hmm. uh, for you to be sustainable you need money to run whatever operation that you and uh, youtube and other uh, other platforms are offering that um but now the stakes are high as well uh, if you are about to if you are talking about monetization of your content remember that um people will be paying um to a point i know some organizations have paywalls to for you to access the news content or whatever content, so, um, it's not yet popular in Zimbabwe because we're sl- slowly en- embracing these platforms as well. But maybe as our, um, you know, technological space grows, um, we could have more people, or even, uh, from the journalist pro- professional journalist point of view, if we could have um trainings, formal trainings, maybe for content producers or content aggregators on how to really monetize your content, because I think it's a new phenomenon, uh, especially here in Zimbabwe. But we have less than 10 people, I think, <laughs> who know how to do this. Yeah. So I think if we could try and embrace it with speed and uh, formalize and have trainings here and there, or discussions around how to monetize your content, maybe.
0: So what mitigating measures have you site put in place considering that journalists are frontline workers?
1: Well, uh, I think uh, it comes with the TIF. I mean, wireless you can try by all means to make sure that you have a lawyer on standby, you are wearing a mask, you, you are likely to, you are going in the, in the front line. So anything can happen. So we have we always encouraged our journalists to be careful, to be especially these days we are working in, the, in COVID. But this is why I find that uh, SITE was one of the media organizations that was affected by the COVID uh, pandemic and with about nine guys testing positive, Everyone is fine, they are battle hardened, they are willing to work. Um, we have also seen, I mean, uh, you know, we get people arrested, you get people, you know, beaten up. It comes with the turf. you know, it's, that's why it's called the front line. You are going there for action. So these things are going to happen. You can mitigate, but, uh, you know, you plan uh, for the best and uh, you plan for the worst and hope for the best. But sometimes the worst always happens. So, yeah.
0: So just to sum up our our discussion, the Winkum Declaration is turning 30 this year in a changed environment compared to 1991 when print dominated the media sector. How do you think online media and new media platforms can be accommodated in an updated media freedom declaration?
1: Uh, well, I think that we, we need to, well, I mean, in updating the window of declaration, we need to uh, actually take into consideration that uh, uh, media no longer just refers to radio, uh, TV and, 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 and print, we now have social media. And it's changing its form. We are talking about Facebook and Twitter a few years ago. Now we're talking about Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, the next day we'll be talking about something else. So it's I don't it, we need to 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 be really live to the, I mean expect the challenges that the media landscape is changing and it's changing fast. The younger generation is actually probably they don't read the newspaper, but they still know what's going on. So it's something that needs to be considered when updating the window of declaration.
0: What any words?
2: Um, maybe just to echo what um said, to say um, online media is here to stay, just like any other development that we have had so far. So I think it would be nice to have even a, a level of recognition of these online tools or online platforms and to seriously take them up, you know, as countries or as signatories of the Windlock Declaration, to even speak with one voice and head uh, towards one direction when it comes to mainstreaming um, all these online debates into the Declaration itself.
0: So um, as your last words, what are you looking at when you're looking into the future? What do you predict? What does it look like?
1: Well, for me, I would say the future is digital. You know, each time I'm seeing someone holding a cell phone or a mobile phone, I'm asking myself, what are they viewing? Are they viewing my content? So my, 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 my aim is to always make sure that if you are holding a phone, at least you are reading a side story, you are listening to a side podcast, you are watching a side documentary, you are listening to side music, and in the next few years, you should be carrying a side phone.
2: Wow! <laughs> what does the future look like? Um, I'll say, I'll be cliche to say uh, the future is bright. I think um, we'll have, you know, information overload. We'll, there, there won't be a time where we'll, we'll, we'll say there's information gaps because we have have um, information coming in so many shapes, multimediality of information. So um, even you take it to other, um, you know, spheres like health or education, we are going to have technology playing a huge role in informing societies, yeah.
0: Okay. Gentlemen, thank you so very much. Um, thank you Mr. Ma- very much, Mr. Zinzel Ndebele, mm-hmm. and he's the director of Side Zimbabwe. And Marcosis Vanda, journalist, podcaster, lecturer, and researcher. My name is Zizwageden Ndlovu, and I wish you all a happy World Press Freedom Day.